Welcome back, NRD, myself, Brett Merriman, the Cold Stove Podcast. A lot going on on this Tuesday from uh, beautiful Austin, Texas. Cold front season NRD down here. I'm excited. Uh, how's it going? It's going good in parts unknown, Brett, uh, in the rumor cave underneath Bettman's office somewhere in New York City. Exciting day. We got some stuff on the docket right now. We got Eichel news. We got whatever the hell's going on in Toronto. Maybe some Chicago stuff later on in the show. Excited to get this thing going. Excited for Cold Stove episode two, although I hate doing numbers. I'm not, you know what? Forget I said episode two. The next episode of Cold Stove, the podcast presented by Washed Media. Uh, we're breaking news. We're scooping NRD bombs for days. You know the deal. You know the deal. At Schmerriman on Twitter and Instagram, NRD NHL Rumors Daily on both of those as well. I need you guys to, uh, to help me out, though. Listeners out there. Unbelievable response from episode one. Thank you, first and foremost. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, fun to be up on the charts with the big boys. Hopefully we just kind of stay there, NRD. I don't know about you. That's my plan, and in order to do that, we need your help still. Get on those reviews. Get on those ratings. Tell a friend about the podcast. Tell a friend about Cold Stove, um, and we'll stay there. The, the bigger this podcast becomes, the better our access gets and the more scoops we can bring you. That's just kind of how it works, and that relies on uh, that relies on the listeners. You I know? agree with that completely. We love the support. We appreciate it. NRD Bomb Squad, you guys always go hard. Appreciate all the love we've been getting. And like Brett said, we want to stay at the top. We want to be ahead of some of those names that we were ahead of. We want to keep it there, parking it in third place, get to second place, maybe even first place. Who knows? We'll get there one day, but we can't do it without your support, so we really appreciate it. No doubt. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cold Stove Pod, and shoot us questions or topics that we need to cover. We did a bunch. Uh, uh, we got a bunch today that I hope we can get to. We didn't get to them last week, but we'll uh, we'll try to to cover some as we go forward here. Before we get going, NRD, I wanted to read some reviews that we got. What do you think? I like that idea. I like that idea. Let's go. Let's hear it. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Reviews of the Cold Stove Podcast. This person says, uh, "D Rowan eighty six. Finally, this is the pod I've been waiting for. NRD is the source for hockey rumors. Can't wait for next week." Boom. I like that one. Cubicle Clone says, this is the hat trick of podcast. Do you remember the emotion you felt during the miracle speech? Again. That's not, well, it's not the miracle speech, but you know what I'm saying. Of course you do. Yeah. Now imagine feeling that for an entire podcast. Click that play button and welcome to life on the top shelf. I like that guy. That, we got to get him on. That, that we sounds a, well done. Team mascot. I like that. That, that, that. Cold Stove Pod mascot right there. What was his name again? Cubicle Clone. There you go, cubicle. Clone. He sounds. He sounds like he, he sounds like he could write a, a, a like a a vodka brand statement, something like that. Well done, it's cubicle. Very classy. It was very classy, cubicle. Clone. Uh, Elliot Dean says a plus 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 pilot episode. Although he does say this, NRD, NRD liking the wrist line and trade for Philly aside. Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. That was a knowledgeable discussion between a couple dudes who clearly know hockey. Looking forward to more. I mean, did it not work out for both sides? Look at Philly. They got a little stronger <laughs> on defense. And Buffalo, who we're going to talk about in a couple minutes, is kicking the champs' ass right now, yesterday in Tampa, or in Buffalo. So yeah, no, not a big deal. Worked out for both teams. I care less if you don't like that. I liked it. And the the final one here that I want to talk about, which I like because it, it reminds me that we're not just talking to hardcore hockey fans, we're also talking to, to newer hockey fans. So that's kind of fun for me. Talking puck... All-Star Burrito says, as a newer NHL fan, this podcast is very accessible to me. Lots of good stuff. Going to need NRD to speak that Eichel to San Jose trade into existence. I don't know if I could help you out with that, but uh, but we appreciate the love and support. Maybe it comes to fruition. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> NRD, speaking of Jack Eichel, last week we talked about it. Uh, I would say the Anaheim Ducks were in first place in the Vegas betting odds for Jack. Today, that doesn't seem to be the case. What has changed since we last recorded? It's a very fluid situation, and that's one thing that's been reiterated by everyone throughout since uh, since prior offseason when this first came to light on a Bob McKenzie tweet talking about how Jack pondered the idea and the New York Rangers called when they had the first overall pick in the Lafreniere draft. Since then, it's been very fluid. So to say when one team's in first place and then next week they're in third place or whatnot, 
kind of it's that flighting response that you get out of these teams when offers get passed along or medical reports come out and then a team pulls back a little bit and says hold on a second should we do this should we not I still think Anaheim's in the hunt um I'd be confident in saying that like we said last week on the show if Drysdale if John Gibson were put on the table I think that most teams in the league would have a hard time beating Anaheim in any offer if the top talent gets put on the board but until then they haven't so now we turn to other teams in play is that Calgary? I know Calgary has a great shot at Jack Eichel. They have the cap space to do it. They have a ton of young players in the stockpile that they can offer up to Buffalo. And they also want to win now as well. They got Johnny Gaudreau as a pending free agent. Whether he walks or not, they have the space to retain both. Retain meaning um, bringing on Jack Eichel and then resigning Gaudreau. It's a winger for Jack to play with in, in Calgary once healthy. Besides Calgary, I know Vegas is playing. Vegas is playing hardball with this. And we... Brett, you heard something, right? I heard. So I got a text this weekend, NRD, from uh, from somebody I do trust, saying that the situation with Jack in Vegas uh, is different on Monday than it was on Friday. So something happened over the weekend that put Vegas in a better spot. I don't know if somebody is now on the table that wasn't on the table. I don't know anything other than something happened over the weekend that increased Vegas's. I, sh- I guess likelihood, or or something was greased in the the stalemate of the Jack Eichel saga between Buffalo and Vegas. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know who texted you, Brett, but I could tell you this: they got their ass kicked this past weekend. <laughs> so I don't know if that was the catalyst that uh, that got this thing in movement. But yeah, Vegas is in play, and you know Peyton Krebs, Nick Hague, if they go on the table. It's another team like Anaheim that now you're looking at some premium offers for Buffalo to choose from. Right now it hasn't happened, but going back to the discussion we had last week with Las Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights rather, if they determine that now is the time to go grab a piece like Jack Eichel and this is your chance at a Stanley Cup, I say go for it, right? But as I alluded to, and many others have kind of jumped on board with me, Jack Eichel isn't healthy right now, so you're trading for him to put him on LTIR, to hope that he comes back at 100%, which he very well might if he gets his ADR that he wants and doctors are saying he'll be fine from it. But if if you require him, he's not in the lineup right now. So is it not a question mark to Vegas if you're going to give up that young stockpile of prospects and absolutely bleed the cupboards dry at this point? Do you think that that's the right move to make when you're struggling out of the gate? Because it doesn't help you right now. The re- <clears throat> excuse me. The reason I say yes is because they are not a one hundred percent team right now. They're in a position where guys are hurt. Pacioretty's out. Stone's out. Touch's out. Krebs is not ready to be their number one guy, and Marcheseau doesn't look himself. So, if there's a year to do it where Jack's going to be hurt for a while, their team's not 100% healthy. I'm not saying they're punting on this season, but it's a year where where the expectations can be lowered in the near term for long-term success for Vegas. Now, the prospect pool, like you mentioned, would take, would take a hit, obviously. But it goes back to the question we asked last week. Is Vegas a better team with Jack Eichel or two or three of their guys in a future pick, right? It, I, don't, I don't know. I think it, it's, it depends it's a question on what you to ponder. Yeah. yeah, right. It's, it's something that you ponder. In the short term, and when I say short term, I don't necessarily mean the 2021-2022 season, but in the next year or so, yeah, you can easily say they're better with Jack Eichel in a healthy lineup. But as you get on into the years and Jack Eichel gets another year and another year removed from this surgery – eventually, I mean, you'd like to think that the guy's going to be healthy forever, but these things are usually degenerative in nature, these injuries, anything to do with vertebrae or neck or whatnot. And I'm no doctor, but I'll tell you this. As the time goes on, you can fix it in the immediate future and he could come back and play healthy, but how's he going to look in five years when that neck gets a little stiff again? And that's the question if you're Vegas. You're better now with Jack Eichel. I could could answer that for you. I, I do believe you're better with Jack Eichel in the lineup if he comes back healthy, but... Five, six years from now, do you wish that you had a solid top four defenseman in Nick Hague if he pans out? Do you wish that Peyton Krebs was in the lineup? Do you wish that first, whoever it may be, if you didn't win the Stanley Cup that year, 
is contributing somewhere or another, whether it's in your farm system in Henderson or on the big club. Like those are questions. And I'm not so convinced at this point that Vegas is better with Jack Eichel five years from now because I don't have rose-colored glasses and I can't see into the future and I don't have a DeLorean. So I don't know what Jack Eichel's health outlook will look like in the long run. But right now, I can tell you they're better. I, I feel confident saying And that. what does Bill Foley care about right now? Now, Elliot mentioned on After the Whistle, shouts to Petey and Ribs, he mentioned that there's a team out there that isn't necessarily in love with the ADR, which is the disc replacement. They would probably prefer the Fusion. Now, it's, it's not saying that's a deal breaker, not saying that that team can't be swayed, based on in new information or information that's already been been given by Eichel's doctors and whatnot. But that may throw a wrench in this thing as well. If a team trades for Eichel and this whole saga continues where Jack doesn't want that surgery, but the team is, again, pressuring him to do so, I don't think we know the identity of that team. I don't think we do. Um, I don't, but I'll tell you this. Probably find whatever old bastard is running some team in the league, and you could figure out which team probably is adverse to something progressive and new in the surgery department. But um, it's an interesting question, right? Because we're not really sure how Jack Eichel feels. We haven't heard from him in a while. We're not really sure if Jack Eichel is just fed up. And obviously, he wants his artificial replacement surgery. But is he so fed up with the Sabres front office and organization that he wouldn't consider it somewhere else if somebody maybe tabled it in a new way, presented it in a new light to him in another uh, in another destination around the National Hockey League? Or is he is his major gripe with the surgery alone, and that would be the same no matter where he goes? And that's a valid question right now. Like I said, we don't know what's going on in the mind of Jack Eichel. We haven't heard from him since that very weird late-night statement from his prior agent, Peter Fish. Um, my guess is that his health is coming first at this point, and I don't think that Anywhere around the National Hockey League, he'd be open to the the quick fix. He'd rather his artificial replacement surgery. So I don't think that changes no matter where he ends up. But that's an interesting thing to ponder. Is he so fed up with the Sabres organization? Or does he have his health at the forefront? Which I would hope and think he does. I think option two, um, I, would, I would be willing to bet 99% sure on option two just based on what I know and based on how the situation has moved so far. Now, I had a thought this week, NRD, about another factor we can throw into this, and that's time. So we know the fusion is, is six to eight months. That would take him out of this year. That takes him out of the Olympics. That's looking Correct. at 2022, period. The ADR is back on the ice in six weeks, playing at two to three months. The Olympics are in, what's that, November, December, February. Yeah. They so kick off Super Bowl weekend. Basically three off, months. So. The Olympics start on February 4th. Kevin Adams has talked about pressure points during the season that get things done, whether it's the trade deadline, free agency, etc. I'm starting to think that based on what Elliot Friedman's reporting, that they're going to file a grievance here in the next couple days, couple weeks, which might be expedited, allow him to have the surgery, puts the Olympics back on the table for Jack, no matter where he's at. I'm starting to think that this, this upcoming, call it three months before the Olympics, which would be no, November 4th, right? Correct. December, January, February, three months November 4th. Correct. November 4th is becoming a pressure point in this discussion. The thought I'm having is that, well, pending a certain press conference that's about to happen, my thought is that does Stan Bowman, the GM of the 2022 USA Olympic team, have any leverage here to broker a deal, along with Jack's agents, along with Kevin Adams, along with whatever team is, is trading for Jack and saying, hey, Jack is better, or hockey's better with Jack in the lineup in Beijing. Let's think about not only the future, not only the near term, Jack is better off in the lineup. I don't care where he's at. Does that play any part in what's going to happen with Jack Eichel? I don't doubt that those conversations have happened behind the scenes between USA Hockey, whether that's from Stan Bowman or John Van, B Van Beesbrook, who's the president of and oversees USA Hockey in their Olympic program. But the question is this. 
So Eichel gets traded to a Calgary or to a Vegas or to an Anaheim or to a destination that we don't know of at this point. Do you want him going to Beijing if you're that team? Now, granted, it's hard for them to say no because of the CBA and what's negotiated and allowing the players to go play in the Olympics. And I know it's huge for the game. And I would want to see Jack in Beijing if he's healthy. But at the end of the day, and and if you're not privy to this, these players get insured by their by their NHL clubs when they go overseas and play in the Olympics or the World Championships for that matter. If you remember when John Tavares got hurt a couple, couple Olympics prior and, and his knee was messed up and there was a big conversation about the insurance policy that the New York Islanders had on him or whatnot. But So if you're a team in the NHL and you're acquiring, you're acquiring Jack Eichel with health questions to begin with and he gets this ADR and he's back on the ice in three to four months, do you want his first appearance to be in Olympic hockey overseas where you have no access to him in China, in Beijing? So I don't doubt that USA Hockey is putting pressure on potentially getting Jack Eichel a surgery so he can be in the lineup and he could wear the A for Team USA to Patrick Kane's captaincy. But if you're one of these interested franchises in Jack Eichel for an NHL standpoint, do you want that? I mean... Would you not just ignore that and say, listen, we're going to do what we want here because we're giving up premium assets to acquire this guy and we don't want to see him on the ice the first time overseas in China. We'd rather see him in our own barn. It's it's an interesting question, Brett. I, I agree with you completely and I have zero doubts that those conversations have went on behind the scenes, whether it's from Van Beesbrook or Bowman or anybody else at USA Hockey. I'm sure that USA Hockey would love to have him on the ice in Beijing. But if you're an acquiring franchise, why would you want him to do that? The optimist in me says, what a chance to debut my shiny new toy for the American Olympic team in Beijing that now gets to come back to my barn and play the way he did in China, a fully healthy Jack Eichel. Also, if you look at Jack Eichel's Twitter bio, it says number nine with the American flag. So all I want to do there is put that out there and see where we land we all know Jack is Jack, the situation is the situation. But Buffalo's 4-1-1 one one right now. I don't think many people, including myself, saw that coming. I don't know how sustainable it is, but the numbers don't suggest puck luck all that much. What have you seen from Buffalo so far that, you know, maybe has obviously has people talking, NRD? I think what surprised me most about Buffalo, and listen, without Jack Eichel, they obviously lose a little bit up front, but they're still a talented hockey club. They have young, talented players in lineup, whether that be Dylan Cousins, whether that be um, Rasmus Dahlin. They have young talent in that Buffalo lineup. The question is, how sustainable is their goaltending? They have an old Craig Anderson in the net who, don't forget, retired after this past season came out of retirement, rescinded his retirement papers from the league to play in Buffalo, and Dustin Ko- uh, Tokarski. Both, of, sustain- which Both of which have a 930-plus save percentage right now. And that's ridiculous, and it, and it puts him on par for the William M. Jennings trophy at the end of the year. <laughs> so how sustainable is that if you're Buffalo? I think that their performance up front and what they're doing is not necessarily surprising me with their offensive output. Like I said, they're a talented young team with great skilled players in the lineup who are coming into their own in the National Hockey League. I think their record's more so surprising because what they're getting on the back end and what they're getting in net. And the question is, is if Craig Anderson can continue to perform at the level he's performing at, which I would, if I was a betting man, I'd say that he won't. But if he does, you never know what conversation Buffalo is in come February. If a goalie shakes out, if... If Anaheim doesn't want to get the Eichel deal done, but they have Gibson on the table in general, who knows if Gibson would waive his NMC for Buffalo, but it's a question mark. Would Buffalo just pursue Gibson? Would Buffalo pursue Georgiev? Would Buffalo pursue a Capo Kakinen in Minnesota, who was also at one point maybe rumored in the mix of teams for uh, for Eichel, and Kakinen's name was coming up. So Buffalo will get carried by the strength of their goaltending in their back end. The question is, is if you're Buffalo and you still have a winning record and you're batting over 500 at the trade deadline or come January or come the freeze, do you maybe get aggressive in acquiring your goalie now because 
you have a young, hot team without any problems in the locker room of Jack Eichel, and you say, maybe we could take a kick at this. Listen, this is very long-term stuff that I'm talking about right now, but it's something to ponder. Like you said, Brett, Buffalo's surprising a lot of people. They've surprised me. Not as much surprised about the talent on the front, and I'm surprised about what they're getting out of their goaltending. Jeff Skinner looks like the Jeff Skinner that scored 40 goals, which obviously helps. He was played tremendous, not out of position by Ralph Kruger, but out of position in the lineup. Uh, where he was not, you know, unless he was with Sam and Jack, was playing with fourth-line players. And Jeff Skinner is not the guy that can drive a line. He's an elite finisher that is finding that finishing ability again. Kyle Oposo and Craig Anderson, Fountain of Youth guys, we'll see if that can be sustained. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for the fans. I'm excited for that arena to fill back up again. You know, they only had 8,000 people again last night against Tampa. But the, the rink does get loud because it is a small, older rink that it doesn't need to be packed with 19,000 people to sound loud. I think they're for real. Last night proved that for me because they, while they were outshot in the first couple periods, they were for all from outside. Very few odd man rushes. Kalorn missed a goal, uh, a wide open goal. So they did get lucky at some points, but there were a lot of outside shots. The penalty kill looks great. The power play looks great. We'll see with the Buffalo Sabres. If they play that just aggressive forecheck, don't make mistakes, and, and play like it's, it's 12-year-old hockey, and that's what they kind of needed to do instead of trying to adhere to a system so much. So we'll see on that. Did you catch the, uh, the Stamkos hit on Dylan Cousins last night? I did. I didn't like it. I think that the league failed in not at least having a conversation with him over the phone. When you set the precedent that those are the hits that you're trying to crack down on in the game, and then you kind of turn away to that. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that wasn't even a penalty. Correct. It Correct. was. It was actually a delayed penalty on something else that it, on a cross check that had happened on Vinny Hinestroza before that play. That so, was not even called yeah. as a penalty, and and Dylan Cousins is bleeding from the nose, skating back to the bench. Like, did you guys not see that? And the the intent was there as well. You can see Stamkos just looking at his face for a stride and a half before coasting in his shoulder into his, his nasal socket. Like, that's the type of shit that the NHL has tried and tried and tried to crack down on, and you have the perfect opportunity. You, you don't need to suspend him for nine games, but you need to have a conversation with him. And then and the $5,000 match fine, you know, the cheap thing that everybody Which gets. really puts a dent in Stamkos' pocket. Oh, I understand. Sure. $5,000 he's hurting. But, no, I, listen, do we trust anything that the Department of Player Safety does in the NHL at this point? Probably not. So, is this surprising? No. We can all sit here and say, should have been a penalty, and we all agree on that. Should have been a penalty, should have required some supplemental discipline. But, I don't think anything that George Paros and that department does at this point surprises anybody. So, did we not expect this to come to light? One real quick thing on Buffalo that I want to add before we move on. Ralph Kruger, probably not a good hockey coach. Just, you know uh, what? Looking at what Buffalo is able to do right now, he he seemed to talk his way into and out of a lot of situations that were compromising and or uh, bad. So maybe we don't get too cute and try to hire the Swiss hockey coach that shined for a tournament that also went and did soccer stuff for a couple of years. That maybe that's off the table moving forward. Just a thought. Donnie Meatballs. Shouts to him. NRD. You had a. Uh, you mentioned before the pod that you wanted to talk Mr. Tarasenko in St. Louis. What do you have on Vladimir Tarasenko? So your counterpart, Jeff Merrick, <laughs> went, on, uh, went on radio in, in, on Sportsnet Radio up in Canada this morning, earlier this morning as we were recording this. You mentioned that Tarasenko has not rescinded his trade, trade request from the St. Louis Blues organization. I sent a text out to check up on that. What I was told is that St. Louis is in no rush to trade him. They're happy with how he's performed on the ice so far. Whether he's personally motivated to perform to get the hell out of St. Louis, I don't know. But I will say this, St. Louis knows that they still have a great asset in Tarasenko, and they're in no rush to trade him just because he hasn't rescinded that request. I could see this dragging out into the deadline season. If a team doesn't step up, like I say, all these situations are fluid. At any point, a team can step up and make the offer that appeals, whether that be the Philadelphia Flyers, who are a little bit more strapped for cap space than they were previously when they were interested in him. New York Islanders previously interested, also strapped for cap space. New York Rangers, they were rumored to be involved by many people. 
I was a little hesitant on that. They do have some space. They don't have a lot of space, but they surely can make it work with retained salary. I don't know what um, St. Louis's thoughts are on that. I would assume not, as they weren't interested in it in the offseason. But nonetheless, St. Louis is going to, going to sit on their hands right now, await this this run that they're on right now with the good play from Tarasenko, see what happens, and see if they can garner more interest throughout the National Hockey League before making a move. I don't think the fact that he still has his trade request ongoing forces anybody's hand or forces St. Louis to move. That's what I got on that. I thought of a team in the Washington Capitals that imagine you had a Tarasenko Ovechkin power play. I don't know how you make that work necessarily. But if Kuznetsov, who is playing well to his credit, needs a change of scenery, and Tarasenko needs a change of scenery, I'm going to keep my eye out on Washington, who I think Tarasenko would flourish. I think that would be a perfect fit playing on the other side of Ovechkin. I don't have anything but speculation there, but I want to keep Washington in mind when it comes to Tarasenko. We shall see. The fit is great. They do have seven seven or so million in long-term uh, injury reserve relief right now from Nicholas Backstrom's contract, but he will come back at some point. So the question is when and how they could tie that into everything. You have some middling contracts in the bottom six and Lars Eller, Carl Hagelin that maybe could go back the other way and help you out a little bit. But the the main crux of the argument is how much space you have in Washington and if you're able to afford it. But I agree with you on the fit. I think he'd look great on that power play. You know what's been a fit for me, NRD, the last couple of days? You tell me what, Brett. Draft Kings. They've been phenomenal, whether it's NHL or NFL. Another week of the NFL season's in the books. Or we have another one coming up, excuse me, which means there's another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. NRD, the last 0-0 tie in the NFL was 1943, back when Lou was just a, a, a wee lad. So I'd say this Jeez. is a, no, a no-brainer here. If the DraftKings Sportsbook is not available in your state yet, uh, they won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new members a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WASHED. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code WASHED this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in the following states, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. NRD, I'm going to be doing that all week, all weekend. Can't wait. Love it. Moving on. North of the border. A couple different crises happening in a couple different cities, but I wanted to talk Toronto Maple Leafs. They, aside from Chicago, may have the most um, alarm bells ringing right now. Would you agree with that? Up there with Montreal as well, but kind of... It's cooled down on Montreal a little bit. Maybe the pressure's come off. Bergevin said in the scene in the press conference, I think expectations were tapered a little bit in Montreal. So, yeah, I'd agree, I would agree with that assessment. A team that I don't think had their expectations tapered whatsoever, especially given the strength of the regular season performance last year, Toronto is at a, uh, a, a you want to call it a crossroads, a like look yourself in the mirror moment. What I is, think they've been there for years, I, they're not you're gonna let me let you hit it but at the end of the day they're not good right is that just is it as simple as that they have an unbelievable amount of talent in their top few contracts one of which mitch martyr is not living up to which you you you, the all or nothing doc revealed a uh a sentiment last year where in game seven he's like i don't i don't I, i don't have it i don't have confidence i don't i can't finish that has carried over to this season I don't know why. I don't know how they fixed this. 
But I do know that when Sheldon Keefe is saying things like, uh, I got a confidence boost from playing Carolina the way we played them, and they're still getting beat up and outshot and outpaced, that is Ralph Kruger's shit, not to bring him up again, where it's, it's lip service to a community of folks that don't want lip service. They want change. They want results. Does a change need to be made in Toronto, or is this a team that's talented enough to figure it out in the room with veterans like, uh, you know, the Tavares of the world who can who can write the ship? I think, in my opinion, that the change does not need to come from the coaching staff. I like Sheldon Keefe as a coach in the National Hockey League. I think their big change came when they fired Mike Babcock and put Keefe in charge. My question. And now I don't want to lose a big segment of our Toronto market audience on this cold stuff no, pod. No, I love it. Toronto fans are phenomenal. And I love Toronto. Toronto fans are extremely phenomenal. They're extremely passionate. They care about their team. But I'm going to tell you this. I don't understand why Kyle Dubas has escaped a lot of this pressure for as long as he has. I know now more than ever they're starting to light a fire underneath his chair. But going back, and hindsight's always twenty twenty, but... Why have we not put a little bit more pressure and question into the way Kyle Dubas has constructed this roster? It's extremely top-heavy, extremely top-heavy, with zero depth and zero oomph from that bottom six. They have young guys up front who are extremely talented. Listen, just because Mitch Marner has finishing issues, which sounds like it's his business, not mine. <laughs> Doesn't mean he's not a talented hockey player. He's extremely talented. We know he is. That's why he got the contract he got. That wasn't ridiculous. I mean, we could argue tit for tat about dollars and dollars in that contract, but at the end of the day, he deserved to be in that pay scale when he got that contract. He's extremely talented, and he's not performing. And you could say, listen, NRD, you're counteracting yourself. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Isn't performance on the coaching staff? Yes, but... They're performing in the regular season. They're just not getting it done when it matters. And my question is, does the change have to come either from the front office and the way that the roster is constructed, or does the change have to come with some of these players on the roster that just can't find a way to get it done when when the pressure's on? And if Marner's available, if he is, he's not right now, if he ever becomes available, I should say, you're going to have 31 teams lining up to acquire this guy. He's a hell of a talent. Of course. But if is that the shoe that has to fall? Because I'll be honest with you, we used to say that William Nylander was the guy that should probably be the odd man out in Toronto, but he's playing his ass off. He's one of those few guys that are showing up night in and night in and night out for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he's only making six point eight million, six point nine million, seven million at most. So he's actually on he's lower on that pay scale than the Matthews and the Marners and the Tavares. So you hold on to a Nylander. You're obviously holding on to Matthews. Tavares is your captain. Pajama Boy came home. You're not giving up on him. I'd say if you have to make a move off that roster, Marner's the odd man out, and you could bring home a collection of defensemen and and talent, younger talent, or maybe talent that could fill out your bottom six better. But it's not going to be Keith. I hope it's not Keith. I think Sheldon Keith is a great coach. I think that if he had the right tools in place, Toronto would be in a better position. My question is why... We're not talking more about the way this roster is constructed. Uh, part of me wonders if they they look at Superman, who could score 82 and 82 in a, in, in a perfect world, perfectly healthy. They look at Austin Matthews, and they see a guy who got wrist surgery this offseason. And they something some, maybe something's up there. They look in the locker room. They look in, the, in practice. When something's off about Superman... That feels to me like that can permeate the locker room in a very, very negative fashion. When they're like, our guy's not right, or our guy's not performing the way we know he can, so we're screwed. How do you fix that confidence? And does Austin Matthews look off to you the way he's looked to me thus far? He hasn't looked good, and what's interesting is he just he just netted his 200th goal. He's actually the fastest American-born player to do so. But he did go on a three-game goalless streak before he got it done. And my question is, is how many three- or four-game goalless streaks has Austin Matthews went on in his career before this? And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it, I'll tell you right now, spoiler alert, 
he hasn't went on too many scoreless streaks in his career. <laughs> I was going to say, the at Cold Stove, Cold Stove intern. What's yeah, the, Cold uh, Stove intern. The... <laughs> Let's get the statistician department on that. But no, he hasn't. And you could say he looks off because he's going on these cold spells. It's very early in the season, and they're not a good team for the reasons that I believe I've mentioned. Um, so you can chalk that up to a little bit of it. But he does look off. He doesn't look like himself. He's still another guy that's a great talent, and I think he's a top top three center in the National Hockey League. Like, you can't give up on that guy. But something is just not right in Toronto, and that's the beauty of this show, Cold Stove Pod. We're going to probably we're gonna attempt to tell you what's going on with Toronto, but we don't know unless we're in the building. Oh, wait, we do, because we do have all or nothing, which I know is a problem with you, Brad. I know you don't like these style of shows, and we'll touch on that later on in the show. But the problem is, if you're Toronto... And you're not getting the performance out of these guys. What the hell do you do? Because they're arguably the most talented players in the National Hockey League. Yeah, you don't. There's nobody to turn to in that situation. You don't have the depth to turn to anybody in that situation. Uh, Jason Spezza is not getting the job done for the rest of your team. Like, I just wonder if Austin Matthews' wrist feels the way it felt at 100. percent Because guess what? You use your wrist a hell of a lot in a shot. I don't care what hand, I don't care what wrist slap, whatever. That wrist is going to feel it. It's like having a wrist injury in golf. It's always in your mind, too. Until he feels absolutely nothing when he wake up, like wakes up in the morning. That is in your mind. And you don't feel like you can put a hundred, even if, even if it's 100% structurally sound, it takes a long time for you not to think about it. It's the same with an ACL. It's the same with a shoulder labrum. Shots to uh, Dr. Palmer back in Saratoga, who got mine done. You don't feel 100% confident until you don't feel it at all. And I just wonder if that's still lingering. And, and, well, and people know about it. So guess what? He's getting, if he's taking a face-off, somebody's going to lean on that wrist a little bit. Somebody's going to chop at that wrist a little bit. And every single time somebody touches him or touches that wrist – even if it's not a big hit, right? It's just in the corners, in, a, in the scrappy moments. He's going to think about it. And until he doesn't think about it or, or has the ability to not think about it, I wonder if that's a problem. And when people know that on his team and on the other team, I wonder if that's contributing to this start. And I would, I would, love, I would yeah. love for him to prove me wrong. I would love that because he's a hell of a hockey player. He's either the one A, he's one A or one B center on the United States team, come come Beijing. No, I, I think you're right. And listen, don't don't get this mistaken. We're not necessarily making excuses for the guy, but an injury like Brett Brett alluded to is in your head at all times. And my question is is not even a question, a statement at this point. You're too late to turn back around now. He got the surgery and came back into the lineup on short order. You can't now sit him out. He's playing, right. right? So you can't make the excuse that the injury is bothering him for Toronto and then sit him out of the lineup for a couple of games. He came back. You you took that step. In hindsight, maybe letting him sit for a little bit longer on this team underperforming to start off the year would have been the right choice because then you have a, if you're Toronto and you're Kyle Dubas and you have to face the media in Toronto, maybe you have an excuse to say that Austin Matthews is not in the lineup. You also but, have a card. You have a card to play. Yeah, at exactly. That you have that card. You have the card to say that Austin Matthews is not in the lineup. Our best player, that's why the performance is slow to start off the year. Now that he's back in the lineup, everybody knows about the wrist, like you said. But nobody's buying that as an excuse anymore because he's playing, right? So if you're playing, especially in Toronto, right? And this is not to discredit Arizona or Dallas or Florida or any great hockey market across the league. But the scrutiny is so much more severe in Toronto that if you were in that lineup and you were not performing for whatever reason, they're going to give it to you. And that's what's going on right now with the top players in the Toronto Maple Leafs lineup. Close to the border, but not quite across it, are our friends in Detroit, who have a, uh, a little bit of a different situation than the Maple Leafs. They have two rookies playing out of their minds right now, Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider. What do you see from Detroit that nobody saw, nobody saw coming, much like Buffalo? Another team with young talent like Buffalo that everybody... <laughs> everybody discredits the fact that when you rebuild, you're losing some top guys and like, look at Buffalo Jack Eichel's out of the lineup, but they have great young talent. Detroit doesn't have a guy right now. That's not necessarily in the lineup. 
that you could point to to say, oh, they're missing that guy and we expected them to play that crap. But I think people underestimate the young talent in the National Hockey League nowadays and what they're capable of. I mean, the game is quicker than it's ever been. The game is being played faster than it has in the 90s and the early 2000s. So when you get guys like Lucas Raymond in the lineup and Mo Cedar and Bertuzzi, who at this point still the only unvaccinated player, cannot play in Canada. Um, but when he's in the lineup, when they're playing stateside, young, talented players, Philip Sedina, like those are guys that you could build a franchise around. And I think the expectations have been so low because of how bad they've been in the past. But now that these guys are coming into their own and they're entering the National Hockey League and they're playing together, look at the results. Detroit's another team that, listen, at the end of the day, they're probably going to end up at the bottom of the barrel just by default in the division that they're playing in and who they have to go up against. But I don't see them as a low a mid-40s, low-50s point team. Maybe they finished 7th in that division. They net 65 points on the year. You know, that's not a lot in the grand scheme of things. Maybe Tampa puts up 120 if they if they get hot. <laughs> Again. Again. Yeah, real so, hot. So, yeah, they're half Buffalo. of... Exactly. They're half of what Tampa is, but still. Many people probably expected Detroit to pull 45 points, 50 points on the year. The fact that they could pull 65 is going to turn some heads, and I don't think it should because their talent is so good. Stevie Y has drafted to perfection since he's gotten in the building there in, in Detroit, and... I don't see this rebuild. And this is why many people behind the scenes are talking about Detroit as a potential fit for Jack Eichel if they can make it work and if they're comfortable with moving certain young guys is because I don't see them playing too much, uh, too poorly for too much longer. They yeah. have these young guys ready to go that are ready to step up and take that jump in the National Hockey League. You and mentioned that's why, yeah, no, the league is different. The league is different now. Like yeah. a 20-year-old can make a difference. And, and good on Mo Sider. When he got drafted where he did, People are like, well, hang on a minute. You know, why are you drafting him there? Blah, blah, blah. This is this big German dude. Well, guess what? Most Sider's putting on a clinic this season. I'm very, very happy to see where he's at. I'm very happy to see Lucas Raymond playing as well as he is. In fact, guess who's leading the Calder Trophy odds race right now? One, yes. one Lucas Raymond. Lucas Raymond, right? Yes. Guess who's fourth? Most Sider. With Zegris and, and Caulfield in between. Good on them for taking a Detroit team that had low expectations, much like the Sabres, and saying, you know, screw you guys. We're playing in the Little Caesars Arena, the brand new rink in front of Stevie Y. Who cares where we, where we end up? We're going to play fast. We're going to play good hockey. And they're a fun team to watch. The NHL is always better with Detroit involved. I'm happy for them. A team that's doing it a little bit differently on the opposite coast is the San Jose Sharks as a veteran-filled team with a couple of young pieces to supplement. What are you seeing out of San Jose that you're liking? Uh, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I like the young talent. I like Jonathan Dahlin. I like William Eklund. I still will stand by, take it to my grave. William Eklund will end up as the top talent from that draft class last year. I think he's a hell of a talented hockey player in the National Hockey League, and I think that many teams... Made a mistake letting him slip to San Jose at 7, I believe, is where they drafted him. So, I like what they're doing there. What I wish they would do is just cut bait with some of the veterans that they have in the lineup and just commit to going younger. They you, don't love shown the, uh, you don't love the Andrew Cogliano Sharks, is what you're I saying? I don't <laughs> love the fact that you have guys like... And listen, this is not to say that the average age of your roster needs to be 22 either. You need to find that balance of veteran leadership and young talent in the National Hockey League. But it just seems like San Jose over any other team has an identity crisis in terms of what they want to do. I mean, they haven't committed to the fact that they want to rebuild, but they also haven't not committed to competing. And I don't know if I just double-crossed myself with a double negative there, but they haven't said they don't want to compete. But yet they have these younger guys that they're infusing into the lineup that probably aren't ready to compete right now. Great talent, but not ready to compete right now. But yet they're clinging to guys like Cagliano and Hurdle, and they don't have any set guy in the net yet right now to, to take over the goaltending reins for San Jose. So I look at them and I say identity crisis because I like what they're doing on the younger side, but I'm, I'm questioning what they're doing with some of their veterans there. I think that this trade line, deadline is going to be telling for them, and if I'm sitting there in that front office, there's no world that I keep Tomas Hurdle. There's no world that I keep Andrew Cogliano. I continue to fuse the fuse the pool with picks and prospects 
and young NHL talent that could step in and make a difference in this lineup two or three years from now. They have Brent Burns at $8 million for the next three and a half years. He's 36. They have Mark Edward Vlasic at $7 million for the next four and a half years. He's 34. I don't understand, not to mention Eric Carlson, who's at 11.5. He's 31 for the next however, who knows how long. It seems like a decade. I don't understand how you plan for the future with that back end unless you cut bait with somebody or make a trade. That being said, they're playing well this year. San Jose is going to be an interesting team to watch because I agree. Are they in or are they out? I don't know. Their veteran money would suggest they're in. Their lack of success would suggest they're out. We need Patty Marlowe back there to, to make things happen, maybe. Maybe they'll bring him back. Um, Future former noted Carolina Hurricane Patty Marlowe. Exactly, exactly. NRD, I wanted to go some uh, some botch thoughts here. What do you think? Uh, so down. Let's go for it. 24-7 style shows. You mentioned I was going to mention them. Here I am mentioning them. I think it was Elliot or Jeff. Somebody brought up a good point where the NHL locker room is one of the more sacred in pro sports. A lot of what happens behind the scenes happens behind the scenes for a reason. I tend to agree with them where the 24-7 style shows the hard knocks of the world, the all-or-nothings of the world, the stuff that really gives incredible access to the players and the coaches and the and the the trades and everything that goes on, they do affect teams more than I think people understand. I saw it kind of firsthand with hard knocks when I uh, worked in the NFL for a season. Now they weren't doing our team, but they were. I I had heard how it affects teams and how it affects clubs and how it affects the players and the coaches and and everything that happens. Those shows have an impact. A lot of the times the impact's negative because things get out that people have to explain, that coaches have to explain, that GMs have to answer to, that the players all of a sudden now are doing media stints where they are answering questions where they're talking to the locker room with their buddies. Understandably, guys don't love it. Now here's the other hand. You see... F1 and their Drive to Survive documentary on Netflix absolutely launching that sport into the stratosphere. Hockey needs that. They're fourth out of four right now in the major sports. Hockey needs a shot in the arm. These shows help bring new eyeballs. So now it's the catch-22. What do I do? Short-term for the team, I don't have the show Secrets in the locker room, we're all locked up, we're all good. Or, as an owner, do I care about the future of the league and the future of what my team looks like down the line and how a documentary thing like this could help? In my opinion, if you look at what the NFL is doing, and you could probably correct me on this if I'm wrong, but from my understanding is the NFL forces teams to do it. You can't do it if you have a new head coach or a transition to a new coaching staff in the offseason, and you can't do it if you hadn't in the past three seasons. But other than that, if you get selected by the NFL and HBO for Hard Knocks, you have to do Hard Knocks. Yes, there are, con- there are conditions, but yes, okay. once, once selected, you have, to, you have to agree to it. Right now, the Toronto Maple Leafs elected to do this with Amazon. They did not get told by the NHL they had to do all or nothing. I think that the entertainment value should always be at the forefront because the NHL is batting fourth in the lineup right now in terms of the professional leagues in the United States. If the NHL were to transition to a more hard knock style of their content and say, listen, we're going to provide conditions where you can get out of this, but otherwise we're going to select a team each season and make you do this, and teams are better equipped to handle the scrutiny and what comes of being on camera for an offseason— then I say it's a little bit more acceptable. I agree more so to your first point right now that Toronto voluntarily did this with Amazon. And look at the backlash that they're receiving from some fans because you have things like Marner saying he can't finish or he can't perform or some of the things that Sheldon Keefe has said in the locker room that are now coming to light because of this series. 
I think you have to find that fine balance between entertainment and and how sacred the NHL locker room is. I think the correct way to to go would be the hard knocks model, where the league is fully involved in the production of this, so there's a little bit more control in the team's hands of what gets produced and what doesn't get produced, and teams are better preempted and aware of what's going on, and there's a there's an understanding throughout the 32 clubs about what's going to happen if you're selected for these shows in the offseason. But until then, I say, listen, I, I kind of put the blame on Toronto themselves, right? They voluntarily did this with Amazon. Nobody forced them to. They're trying to grow the game, which is awesome. And Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is extremely progressive in how they try to grow their brand and their game between what they do with the Leafs and the Raptors. But you have to know that this is what you sign yourself up for. Yeah, so totally. at this point, I say you, you made that bed. You got to sleep in it. Going forward, I'd like to see the NHL take more of a hard knocks approach and say, listen, we're going to do this with one club every offseason, and here are the parameters that can get you out of it. If not, you have to do it. And then there's a little bit more of in-house control with the clubs and the and the league over what gets aired and whatnot. The one 24-7 slash hard knocks style documentary that ever was true to self but the NHL was when HBO followed the New York Rangers before the Winter Classic against the Philadelphia Flyers. And I believe it was in St. Louis when John Tortorella walked into that locker room and basically motherfucked everybody up and down. And that was true to style. Other than that, I could see where you're coming from about how some things are a little less than authentic because everybody's aware of the cameras being in the room. That one scene with John Tortorella, and I know Ranger fans and many other hockey fans around the league will attest to what I'm talking about. That was probably as true to scope as you can get in one of those style documentaries in the National Hockey League. Totally agree. Loved those, by the way. Absolutely loved those. Another thought I had, uh, I wanted to mention Colin Wilson, who wrote a piece in the Players' Tribune that I recommend everybody go and read. He opened up about addiction in a uh, in an, an incredibly human way. You know, a lot of those, a lot of the time, those people dance around and and don't get into the nitty gritty. Colin Wilson basically chronologically laid out nights that he would have the drugs that he would do, the the stuff that he would drink, and how he mentioned he didn't know if he was going to wake up the next day. An incredibly open, an incredibly powerful article from Colin Wilson, and I just wanted to commend him for sharing his story, uh, brought to light by the, by the Jimmy Hayes story. He said that inspired him to share more of what he was going through. So just wanted to commend him for the bravery, the honesty, um, and how he mentions that that shit is all over. You know, a lot of uh, hockey, you know, I was, I was dipping in ninth grade on the varsity hockey team. Hockey culture has a tendency to be built, maybe not around substances, but built with substances around at all times. Some more than others, some teams more than others, some, some leagues more than others. Substance abuse I've seen firsthand on hockey teams in high school, in college. And it's a problem that I'm glad is being acknowledged both on Robin Leonard's end, uh, Colin Wilson, Jimmy Hayes' family telling his story. And so I just wanted to, I I don't have some grand point here. I just wanted to commend him and uh, mention that that's a very powerful article. And if you're dealing with something like that, a very good read uh, on how you can get out of it, how you can deal with it, how you can cope and how players have been coping. So I just wanted to commend him for that. And I'd echo those sentiments, and you took the words right out of my mouth. We don't see this progress in how we discuss this in an open forum unless you have people like Kevin Hayes Sr. coming out in the Jimmy Hayes family discussing it, or Robin Leonard bringing this to light, or Colin Wilson now with what he did in the Players' Tribune. We don't have these breakthroughs and destigmatize these types of things unless the players take a very brave step and come forward and discuss these things. So yeah, like I don't want to just echo what you said because you said all the right things. You hit the right notes, Brett. The fact that these players are coming out and discussing it now is only going to be a good thing in the long run for players to come in the future and for themselves. It's something that's encouraging that it's now being talked about in a public forum, and we hope that no players have to go through this anymore alone. Right? Like right. we yep. have obviously, as you mentioned, hockey's always kind of had issues of substance abuse, even going back to the late '80s when the discussions were everybody in the NHL was on speed. Mm-hmm. And then the NHL kind of escaped the HGH crisis of the MLB in the 90s and early 2000s. But now we're talking about 
different types of substances and painkillers and whatnot and with the loss of Derek Bougard and Jimmy Hayes and you could just go on and on with these NHL players and it's so sad but at the end of the day we don't see the progress for this to end or destigmatize it unless we get players like Leonard or the Hayes family or Colin Wilson to step forward and say this is what's going on and I'm brave enough to share my story and hopefully help somebody down the line so kudos to him I think I speak for everybody around the league and fans around the league and in administrators around the league front office staff players coaches training staff whatnot that everybody supports a guy like him coming out and saying what needs to be said if it can even help one person that's a win that's absolutely a win uh let's go to what's up this week just quick hitters here Mackenzie blackwood has begun the vaccination process he will be with the team uh, in the next few weeks. I, mean, I don't think anybody knows exactly what day, you know, the 14-day the window, the or excuse me, the the two weeks or three weeks, however it, long it takes to get the next one, the two weeks uh, after that for full vaccination status. Mackenzie Blackwood will be with the Devils in a division NRD that has no team below 500. That's another point I have. The Metro absolutely buzzing this year. It's the best division in hockey year in and year out because of the talent pool, especially now that some of the teams that were not playing well when they formed these divisions, i.e. the New York Rangers, the New Jersey Devils, the New York Islanders to an extent previously, but now in the past couple of years, they've been really strong. These teams have had a gigantic influx of young talent. And once again, we mentioned that young talent, whether it be Alexi Lafreniere, Capo Caco, Jack Hughes, Mackenzie Blackwood, Alexander Holtz, all these young talent, all this young talent that has stepped into the Metro division are now coming into their own in the National Hockey League. That's a world beater in division, and I don't envy any GM, any coach that has to strategize or build a roster to compete because, like you said, most of the teams are going to be batting above 500, and it's probably going to end up where both wild card seeds in the East come from the Metro division again this year. Staying in the division, uh, Simeon Varlamov, close to returning. All of a sudden, the Islanders have a uh, goalie surplus, which is never a bad thing. Do you do they make a move with any of their goalies at the deadline, you think? I don't believe so yet at this point. I think you hold them for another year and you go after the cup again. Sorokin's obviously a stud and he's coming into his own in the National Hockey League. And I do believe he's ready now. He'll definitely be ready next year, but I, I personally think he's ready to na- ready now to carry the load and be the bell cow guy in the net in in the island on the island i should say but why would you give up that surplus just because you know you're a team that wants to make a cup run again this year and it never hurts to have goaltender depth it never hurts to have two starting caliber goaltenders in the national hockey league look at vegas of the years past they've been able to kind of interchange mark andre Fleury and robin leonard with ease since they acquired leonard they gave it a couple of years now Fleury's out leonard's the guy I think it's a similar situation with the New York Islanders where if you make that move, you make it in the offseason after you made your Stanley Cup run and whether it worked out or not, you have a more you have more clarity looking at your goaltender picture and you'll know for sure that Ilya Sorokin's the guy ready to take it over. But it's not a type of move you make in the season if you're the New York Islanders. NRD, here we go. It's official. Uh, Stan Bowman has stepped aside as Blackhawks GM in light of the investigation Blackhawks press conference is going on as we speak. Elliot Friedman reporting that Kyle Davidson is the interim GM in Chicago. The start for the Blackhawks has obviously been marred with more things than just off the ice. On the ice, the product's not great. I don't even know if we can, you know, obviously there's a lot of legal stuff here that I don't we we don't know too much about if anything. I just hope that the victims of what has happened over there have uh been able to maybe this is a day for them where they can find some solace. As far as the on ice product goes, where do the Chicago Blackhawks go from here? Well the point has always remained that it probably wasn't gonna be Stan Bowman that fires Jeremy Carlton behind the bench. And now that Stan Bowman's out of the way I think you have an easier path to letting go of Jeremy Carlton because optics are never a good thing. And how bad were the optics when he handed off the whiteboard to his players the other night? Oh, my God. Not great optics. Now, I'm sure there's a valid reason for it. I'm sure it's something that maybe one of the veteran players has stepped up and said, 
I have an idea for this. And and that happens in the National Hockey League. It's a it's a transactional type of relationship between a coach and a veteran player and players on your roster to report back to the coach of things that they're seeing on the ice or things that they're noticing. So maybe not as big of a deal as the situation unfolds, but the optics are obviously terrible on a very bad hockey club when the coach is handing off the whiteboard and kind of standing there like he's got nothing to do. I think this makes it a lot easier for Jeremy Colleton to be the guy out. He obviously was not involved in the allegations. I just want to make that clear. From my understanding, Jeremy Colleton was not involved in what went on in 2010 as per the investigation that's going on with the Chicago Blackhawks organization. But he was a Stan Bowman electee. He was very close to Bowman. And I believe it was Emily Kaplan of ESPN who reported the other day that if a firing came down on Jeremy Colton, it would have had to come from ownership and not Stan Bowman. Stan Bowman was not going to fire Jeremy Colton. So now this just becomes a lot easier. As far as how the organization goes from, as far as where the organization goes from this point, I think your first look is at Colton. And whether Kyle Davidson, who's, I believe you said Kyle Davidson is a new interim GM. Yes, correct. The, what he deems fit. I know he's got the, he's probably got the full support of the Wurtz family at this point because the Wurtz family doesn't want to be meddling in too much stuff going on right now. There's enough pressure on their heads. One thing that I did just see pop up on my phone as we're talking about this is how Reed Scher, the former federal prosecutor who invest, who led this investigation, Chicago Blackhawks organization, claims that the Wirtz family had no idea of what was going on in 2010. But the list of names that did are pretty expansive. Joel Quenville's on that list. Kevin Dayoff, general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, is on that list. Obviously, Stan Bowman. Obviously, a couple other players, big players in that front office for, for the Chicago Blackhawks. My question is, what does this do for the red, white, and blue? Come Beijing, come February, Stan Bowman obviously stepping down as general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks. But as of this recording right now, as I'm saying the sentence, is still the general manager for Team USA. So what becomes of that situation is my question. If you are the United States national team, how how do you keep how do you keep this guy at the helm? I don't think you can. I don't think that sets the right uh, you know, I don't I don't think that sends the right message to anybody. And and that would only become a distraction for a team that has not won a gold medal in a long, long time. This team should be hyper-focused on beating the Canadians, beating the Russians, beating the Czechs, beating the Finns, beating the Swedes. That focus is lessened with the presence of Stan Bowman in constructing that team. And it's not like they don't have the guns to do it. We mentioned Billy Guerin, who uh, played in the 2002 gold medal game. you got plenty of guys that can step up and build a team. I don't think Stan Bowman, uh, you know, I can be corrected here. I don't think Stan Bowman will continue to be that guy. I don't think so. I mean, obviously not as severe, but John Van Beesbrook, Van Beesbrook has had skeletons in his closet and he's still overseeing the situation in USA hockey. But I think this is too severe for Stan Bowman to overcome. And I do believe he will step down if not fired from his post at USA hockey soon enough, whether that comes within the next couple of hours or the next day or so, I don't expect anything different, but yeah, like you said, there's a clear line of succession, succession. Um, Bill Guerin steps up obviously as the new general manager of that team. Chris Drury has been involved in upper management with USA Hockey over the past couple of seasons at the World Championships. So there's a path. And quite honestly, now listen, I think everybody blew those first three preliminary players on the roster out of proportion for Team USA. But two Blackhawks were selected out of the first three players. Obviously. One of which was Seth Jones. Yeah, one of which was Seth Jones, who's a great talent and and I'm higher on Seth Jones than most. It's the second week now I've said this because I do believe that to be true, but you don't pick Adam Fox, the the reigning Norris winner. You don't pick Charlie McAvoy, who if you don't pick Fox, I would say McAvoy is probably your number two. You don't pick, I mean, Quinn Quinn Hughes is probably going to make that roster. Nonetheless, maybe he's not worthy of being in the first preliminary three, but I don't know if Stan Bowman was the guy anyway, kind of like what you said to bring him to a gold medal. So Mm -hmm. maybe this is, Obviously, unfortunate circumstances, and it's not to make light of the situation, but maybe this is a good thing for USA hockey 
and maybe they get somebody a little bit more progressive, somebody a little bit more forward-thinking running the show for Team USA in Beijing this year. Totally agree. Totally agree. Excited to see. I would, I would love to know who the 50 are on any roster or any, any country's roster, who those 50 across the board are because they are subject to different testing protocols leading up uh, both on COVID and uh, the drug protocols, testing for PEDs ahead of the Olympics. But the focus, like you mentioned, now turns to Joel Quenneville and Kevin Shelvadeoff. I guess we'll we'll find out more this afternoon as this whole thing unfolds, but uh, that's going to do it for us on this podcast. If we need to record something, uh, both NRD and I have said we can get on the emergency pod, get on the emergency phone and uh, dial something up for the week if necessary, especially like a Jack Dykel situation. Um, but that's going to do it for us today. NRD, anything else on your mind before you want to get out of here? Nothing else on my mind. I, I think we hit the nail on the head. I'm, I'm really interested to see what the fallout is in the Chicago Blackhawks investigation, especially because you have a coach like Joel Quinville who's red hot with the Florida Panthers right now, and I'm sure they don't want to see anything bad happen to him in Florida. And you got Kevin Day off on another contending team in Winnipeg. So I'm quite interested to see the fallout from this, and obviously I'll keep it plugged. And I'll keep you posted on Twitter at NHL Rumors Daily. I'll have what's going on. Cold stove. We're always going to rip an emergency if we need to. We'll be back every week. Maybe twice a week. Come important season, Brett. I don't know. It's up to you. We'll have to have this discussion off air. But whatever the fans want, listen, keep keep reviewing. Keep giving us five-star ratings. Keep subscribing. Keep listening. We appreciate the support. And it's all I got for the day. Absolutely. That's uh, NRD at NHL Rumors Daily. I am Brett Merriman at Schmerriman. Just wanted to tease a little William Eklund plus 1400 for the Calder right now. I don't hate that value. Not at all. Not at all. NRD, we'll see you next week. Let's do it. Peace.